Hello and welcome to The Shepherd's Voice, the podcast of Catoctin Covenant Presbyterian Church here in Purcellville, Virginia. My name is Pastor Charles Biggs, and I'm here with Pastor Ben Franks. Good morning. Our question today, Pastor Ben, is what do you make of this series called The Chosen? What do you think about it? Yeah, I'm happy to speak to that question, although I should say right at the outset, I have never watched an episode of The Chosen, so Mm -hmm. it might seem like a strange thing for me to feel like I can talk to, but let me explain um, why I think this is an important thing to talk about and and why I think I still have something to say, even though I haven't watched the show. (laughs) Um, So if you're familiar with this program, you'll know that it has been uh, tremendously popular, tremendously influential, and and kind of a, a breakaway success from a from a um, popular standpoint uh, because it's kind of gone outside of so many of the uh, the way that either films are normally made or Christian films are normally made. Oftentimes, you either get very high quality things that are not made by Christians or very low quality things that are made by Christians. And the producers of the Chosen have have found a way to kind of navigate that and produce something that is is well done and is creatively packaged and is you know watched on Amazon Prime and uh, very popular with many people and it's something that a lot of people have found very helpful i've heard from people who have said oh it's really just helped me to understand the new testament more to understand jesus more to you know build my interest in what the bible talks about and so uh, oftentimes people have that question then well wh- what should we think about this is this is this a great tool is this a great resource that we should be using is this something that should be maybe part of our evangelism or or part of our discipleship you know especially as we work with young people maybe it's so hard to get them to engage with uh, the word of god it feels foreign but we're we're in a very visual culture this is a visual medium is this just a great way of kind of translating the content and concerns of scripture to our modern age, which thinks differently than the ancient world. Oftentimes that's kind of what's behind it. And uh, I think it's really important that we speak to that. And and so I, there's a couple of thoughts that I would share. First off, um, while this is in a sense uh, a kind of a new phenomenon and people are excited about it, um, if you've been around for any length of time, you'll know that uh, this is a question that comes up again and again. I remember being in high school and all the same questions, all the same discussions, all the same arguments were um, were given surrounding Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, you know, and uh, for those of, of an older generation, you know, the Jesus film, it's very popular, and, and oftentimes missionaries or campus crusade workers would say, look, this is a tremendous tool, we've used it and seen, you know, X number of conversions, or people might testify, I never really took Jesus seriously until I watched XYZ. So I think the first thing to recognize is this is not a new question. It's a perennial question. And so it's one that we need to be able to speak to. Mm. Uh, secondly, I want to make a really important point right at the get-go because we live in a very pragmatic culture. And as Christians, we are not immune from that. In fact, I think it's maybe our default mode. And so the assumption we bring is if I have found this helpful or someone else has found this helpful, it must therefore be valuable and important. Yes. And we need to be very careful about that line of reasoning, sure. because when we come to especially how we receive and handle and transmit and communicate the message of the Bible, God shows himself to be very concerned about what we communicate, how, and why. And a, a pragmatic argument is not argument enough. In God's good providence, we see that he is able and willing 
oftentimes to use what is evil to do what is good. You know, he, we, we see this explicitly in the story of Joseph. We see God in the Old Testament working through Pharaoh or working through Cyrus or, you know, working through the, the exile. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Tolkien points out, you know, Christ's death on the cross is in one sense the worst thing to happen in human history and the best thing in human history. Yes. And uh, Jesus can use all sorts of things that— um, not using the cross as an example now, but Jesus can use things that are imperfect or flawed to bring us closer to himself. So where God has used these tools, we praise God for that, but that doesn't mean the tools are above criticism. So you're probably already picking up on the fact that my my basic posture here is one of concern. So so what are some of those concerns? Uh, I think I have probably two concerns about projects like The Chosen that are trying to visually portray or recast the story of Jesus or the story of the Bible. Um, one has to do, and, and if you're familiar with the Reformed tradition, you'll, you'll know where I'm going with this. One has to do specifically with um, the wisdom of portraying Jesus Christ and uh, the, the, the Son of God, the, the God-man in visual form. Why would I be concerned about that? Well, really, it goes back to um, how God tells us he wants us to encounter him all the way back in the Old Testament. You know, when God has formed Israel as his people, when he's giving them his law, when he's revealing his character to himself, he emphasizes that the way that God's people are to approach and envision and worship God is categorically different than the way that every other religion does. How does every other religion approach religious practice? The emphasis is on the sight, the sound, the smell, the visual, and often particularly focused on a visual image of the God that you are worshiping. You know, if you walk into a temple, uh, whether, you know, it was in the ancient world or in the the, the uh, eastern countries today in Asia or uh, other places, often you'll be confronted by a big, impressive image, um, a statue, um, an idol. And God's self-consciously said, you are not to do that. Uh, We read this in Exodus 20 in the giving of the law, the second commandment, not to make a graven image um, as part of our worship. We we read it, I think, even more clearly in Deuteronomy 4 and 5 as God reiterates that, that command and explains some of why. He says, you did not see a form when you came on the mountain. Um, Rather, what God is always pointing people towards is away from the image and towards the word, that the primary vessel uh, for faith is not sight, it's hearing. And we hear that echoed in the New Testament as well, don't we? And so there is this great concern to say you, you are not capable as a finite creature of portraying or capturing the infinite God. And in fact, it would be idolatry to do so. And we find cases where Israel, this is one of their kind of habitual sins that eventually leads to their exile, is they're constantly trying to make images of God. And it's not just a matter of worshiping pagan idols. In fact, what we see in the whole encounter where uh, Moses is receiving the law is that God's people are making a golden calf in the book of Exodus, which they speak of as being Yahweh. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. They're not rejecting the God of Moses and their minds. They're just making it easier to worship him and praise him and focus on him. And God decisively rejects that worship and says, this is off limits. And so I think the Old Testament teaches us to be very careful to not fall into image worship Mm -hmm. or to use images as a means of devotion or even of instruction. We don't find it in the Old Testament. We find it decisively rejected. Now, some people will say, yes, 
but the incarnation, right? Um, God himself sent Jesus uh, in, the, in human flesh, therefore that, that does away with that earlier prohibition. Um, there's a lot of things we could talk about here, and I'll point to some resources that will dive into this more, but let me just speak to some of this briefly, and Pastor Biggs, I'd, I'd welcome your uh, thoughts as well on this. But uh, I think um, one thing we have to, to remember is that uh, if we take that line of argument, we are in essence saying that part of the moral law, you know, one of the Ten Commandments, can now be ignored or passed over. It's done away with. It's sort of taken out of the category of moral law and put into the category of ceremonial law, which is not how Moses casts or presents it, and it's not how the Ten Commandments are used. So there's a real problem there of how you handle the law of God and and view the coming of Christ in that. Um, I I also think centrally um, what what is missed in that is that while we do say, yes, the Incarnation, we also have to say, yes, the ascension. And in essence, what, what this desire to portray images of Christ is doing is giving into what we might call an over-realized eschatology. Mm. It's trying to bring us to this point where faith is built through sight, where we can see face-to-face, where we can behold uh, in the flesh, um, speaking to God as with a man. Those are promises that we have. Those are things that God says you will experience but it's in the not yet. Mm -hmm. And we always want to pull it into the already. We see that with the golden calf. That's what was, in essence, at play, trying to pull what is not yet into the already. And I think we have the same temptation as well. Colossians actually says, Mm -hmm. we have an image of God, and it is Jesus Christ. The word that's used in Colossians 1 is, Christ is the icon of God. Mm. This is the icon. This is the image that we have, the person Jesus Christ. And we can't pull him... um, in an image form into our current day and make that a subject of either devotion, which I think evangelicals largely recognize as dangerous, but we oftentimes want to use it for instruction as well. And I think even there, we have to limit ourselves to the means that God has given. Um, there's a second concern I have with with narratives like The Chosen, and it has to do with that instruction piece. Um, so, I, th- I think what is often assumed is that we can we can translate um, between mediums without losing or changing anything. And if you've ever watched a movie adaptation of your favorite book, you know that's not true. Um, because right. even when it's done well, I think about one of my favorite sets of books is The Lord of the Rings. Yes. One of my favorite movies is The Lord of the Rings. Those two things are not the same. Right. Um, Peter Jackson did a great job, but you were getting something different. Yes. And I was actually helped in this by talking to a friend of mine who, who is a writer, who is a novelist, and he said, what you say is important, the medium you use is important, but also what you don't say mm-hmm. is important, what you don't focus on, what you don't show, is really important to portraying your characters, communicating themes, drawing out what you want to draw out. And so anytime um, we try to recast the story of the New Testament or the story of Jesus, we have to leave some things out we have to add some things in, or we have to, at a minimum, change the medium and redirect the focus, again, from the ear to the eye. That will change things. It will change the message. Now, again, I don't know enough of the details of, of the chosen to point out examples where this has happened, but I know there are, there are times where they take some creative license, and, they, and the, the writers have explained why they think mm-hmm. they have grounds to do that, I would suggest that we don't have grounds to do that. We should be very careful to 
you know, add to or take away from the Word of God. And we actually find that as an explicit warning in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, and then echoed again in the book of Revelation at the end of the New Testament. And so I'm not questioning the intention of those brothers. I think their desire is to draw people closer to Jesus in some way. But I think doing so by, uh, A, leaning on visual images and build and linking in our mind the, the face of a certain actor with the face of the God-man Jesus Christ is, is drifting into idolatry. And I would also suggest that um, the, the, the instruction that you're able to give is always going to be marred and, and shaped by the human creative element. Yes. And uh, underneath all of this, I think, if I can say this with respect, is the fact that we, we, we functionally doubt the sufficiency of God's Word. Yes. And we read the Bible and we think, yes, I, the Bible is important, it, it's beautiful, it's powerful, but I want something more, or I get something more out of this. Yes. And I think we should be honest with that, mm. that maybe we feel that, but, but we should question ourselves. Why mm-hmm. do I think that this is giving me something more? Why do I think that I can't really know Jesus intimately? until I can see him in the way that my contemporary culture likes to see things. Um, are we not trying to reshape Christ and reshape the scriptures to fit ourselves when the biblical pattern is to be reformed and reshaped according to Christ and the scriptures? And that what Christ did with his disciples, we read this in Luke 24, you know, he opens to them the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, and he helps them to understand the scriptures. Does he not promise to do the same with us? Is that not mm-hmm. what the Holy Spirit does? Are we not, in a sense, pushing the Holy Spirit out of the way and saying, no, I need creative writers, actors, producers to kind of do the work of the Holy Spirit so that the Word of God can come to life in a contemporary form? Yes. Um, I think it's important to remember here as well that when when the New Testament was written and given, it was not given in a culturally popular medium. This Mm. is not how ancient people worked. They were not bookish people. They didn't do writings. They did images. They did rituals. This was very foreign. Mm -hmm. It was more foreign to them than it is to us in our culture. So this is not a matter of God spoke in a way that made sense for them, and now we need to update it. God spoke in a way that rubs us as humans the wrong way across all times and cultures intentionally Mm -hmm. so that the power is found in the Word of God. Paul says what we do is foolishness to the the Jews and to the Greeks, but it's the power of God for those who believe. Amen. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. I, I was reminded when you were speaking that Jesus says, blessed are you who do not see yet believe, mm, yes. and as we're called to walk by faith, not by sight. But one day, on that day when he returns, we shall see him face to face, and we shall be as uh, he is completely. Uh, personal testimony. I remember when I was just a baby Christian back in the late 80s, someone gave me some VHS tapes of uh, Franco Zeffirelli's mm-hmm. uh, Jesus of Nazareth, about a six-hour commitment. Me and my friend, uh, we were new to Christ. Uh, we didn't know much about the New Testament. We watched it, and it was helpful for narrative reasons mm-hmm. to help mm-hmm. us to kind of go, okay, so this is where Matthew's going, and this is the birth, and, and this is the death, etc. Um, what I found as I continued as a Christian, as I kept having in my prayer life that actor who was mm. pray, playing Jesus, and quite a, a, a an appropriate Jesus in my estimation, uh, but but he became 
functionally almost an idol. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was careful of it. The Spirit helped me to avoid that. But as I grew and became more confessional, I, I had this question that helped me uh, to, to, uh, to think uh, more clearly with regard to what, what you're saying. And that is, I, I, I said, what is the Redeemer of God's elect? Who is he? So we think of uh, our confession you know, who is the redeemer of God's elect? The only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who, being the eternal Son of God, became man, and so was, and continues to be, God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. How do you picture that? Oh. That's something that's captured in words, but mm. you're either going to get a, a, an overly human Jesus yeah. or overly kind of uh, deified Jesus, yeah. but to get a redeemer who is two natures, one person, is going to be awful hard. And that's why I'll end with 2 Corinthians 3, where we're told that we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, that is, through the writings Paul is mentioning here, uh, we're being transformed into the same image. You notice that? The same Mm -hmm. image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, so it's not gazing upon images made by men or, yeah. or, or prominent actors or good actors or playing Jesus. It is gazing upon the image that's given to us through God's holy word. Again, yeah. as you um, said, as we've said together, the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Yes, that's so important. Before we wrap up, too, I just want to point out, because I think this is something that comes up again and again, and maybe we'll do another podcast episode talking more about <laughs> images of Christ and how we work through that. But uh, probably the best sort of short resource I found on this is actually a, a journal article written by an OPC pastor and professor named David Van Drunen, and he wrote an article called Pictures of Jesus yes. and the Sovereignty of Divine Revelation, Recent Literature and a Defense of the Confessional Reformed View. Um, this is something that normally you would have to go out and buy a copy of this um, academic journal and read it, uh, but the, the publishers think this is such an important topic and such a good article that they've, they've made it freely available in a PDF, and we'll, we'll post a link to that in the show notes. But if you are wrestling with this and trying to piece together some of what we've said about how God reveals himself and why we should uh, avoid using images, I think Van Drunen will be helpful. Uh, another kind of shorter but book-length discussion of this is by uh, Danny Hyde, a URC pastor, called In Living Color, mm. Images of Christ and the Means of Grace. And he helps to connect this to some of the positive images that God has given us, especially the sacraments. But perhaps, again, we'll talk about that on another podcast episode. If you'd like to learn more, you can find resources about this and many other topics on our church website at www.catoctin.org. That website, again, is www.ketoctin.org. You may also find excellent resources in what God's doing in the Presbytery of the Mid-Atlantic, in church planting in Maryland and in Virginia at www.joiningtheharvest.org. If you found this episode to be useful, then we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. If you have questions or prayer requests, we welcome them. You may write us at shepherdsvoicepodcast at gmail.com. That's shepherdsvoicepodcast at gmail.com. And as always, we encourage you to join us for our next episode of The Shepherd's Voice. (laughs) 